Welcome to The Music Reel. It's an independent podcast that shares stories from every industry across the planet that music touches. We uncover how music connects all of us, and we shed light on those who need our support now more than ever. Welcome to The Music Reel. I'm your host, Nicola Burton. I'm so excited today. I get to speak to Mick Auckland, who is the Director of Programming and Presenter Services at Hotter, which is home of the arts on the Gold Coast. Mick, it is lovely to meet you. Yeah, and you too. Thanks for asking me on. I'm very excited to talk to you because Hotter is an important voice in the arts economies in Australia. Um, you're a big hub on the Gold Coast. So I really want to hear, let's start with number one, what it was like for you guys in lockdown when you had to actually reschedule and postpone all those shows. Uh, it was terrifying and probably heartbreaking simultaneously. Uh, terrifying because nobody, well, no one in the world had been through this before, certainly not in in living memory. Um, and uh, we had to literally make a decision to stop shows that had two and a half, three thousand people coming to them that had been in rehearsal for a number of months um, that were big community events. We had to ring artists and promoters and say, we're closing our doors. We had to let our general public know. And then obviously the heartbreaking side of it was that we we had to stand people down and, um, we, and do that for quite a few months in a row until we were finally able to restart in a gentle fashion last July and slowly ramp back up to um, having most of our staff back doing what they love to do. Oh, look, that's good to hear, Mick, because a lot of people still aren't 100% returned yet. So well done to you guys. Now, you've you've got, I think, the 12 days of Christmas start today. Are you noticing that people are really excited about coming back out there and connecting and celebrating again? Or is there still a little bit of reticence in the market? We, um, we were really lucky and we are really lucky. We've got a, a magnificent outdoor space and we were, and, and a number of great indoor spaces. And we were able to with the help of some funding from Arts Queensland and also the, the fact that we're, a, you know, a local council owned building and we receive a subsidy from our council and they maintained that subsidy through through um, COVID, we were able to program to lesser numbers than we would normally like to, but that enabled us to give people a space and feel safe when they returned. So in our outdoor space, we came up with crop circles where we actually gave people a circle that would accommodate four or six or eight, depending on the size of the circle, and it was socially distanced from the circle next to it. Um, and our audiences love it and they want us to keep it, but unfortunately there's no economic model that would allow that to continue. Um, but it meant that people could come back and could feel that they were in a safe bubble. They could dance in their crop circle. So we were pretty much the only place where people were dancing there for a little while. I love um, it. And Queensland Health <laughs> loved it. So that was good as well. That is good to hear. Now, look, you've done some enormous events in the past, haven't you? So Commonwealth Games, the Rugby World Cup. You, you even worked for the Olympic Games as well. Yeah, I've been I've been really lucky. I've been doing those sorts of events since the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Then I jumped on that um, on that touring circus, and and it took me all around the world. So wow. I was so lucky. this is why I really want to talk to you today, Mick. Because okay, this is the conversation. There's so many people in the arts economies that are really concerned about how it's hit us with our economy this yep. year. So with this three things to look at, the government's response, how we as an industry can diversify, and then I guess what audiences need. So let's start with government. Sure. There were so many people that were so angry when the federal budget came out and the word arts was conspicuously missing. So I want to check in with you about your thoughts on the, the role that the government should be playing in aiding the recovery of our industry. What are your thoughts on that? 
Oh, it's, it's, it's simple and complicated at the same time. The simple message is that the arts industry, events arts, is worth $112 billion to the Australian economy annually. And if you look at what that is as a factor of GDP, it's over 6%, between 6 and 8%, depending on how the economy is performing at any one time. So, um, so one in every $12 that goes into the GDP is coming from the arts industry. If that's not worth supporting, then, um, you know, it's double what coal exports, it's, it's double what agriculture exports. It's a huge number in terms of its value to the Australian economy. So, so the government definitely needs to support it. And I would say that, that state governments have, and state governments were pretty quick off the mark in a number of states, Queensland is, uh, essentially, and also local governments have been very supportive through COVID. I, I'm part of a number of various industry networks and, and for the most part, the local governments who, who organise and run arts centres similar to Hodder, we're an independent um, entity. So um, others are, are actually physically controlled by the local government, but those, those places have been supported and have been able to keep their doors open at times. Federally, however, it has been much crowing about $800 million funneled to the arts industry. But if you break that $800 million down, less than 5% is actually accessible to grassroots um, and to, to promoters. Most of it, $400 million tranche of it was to invite overseas movies or to entice overseas movies, which is great. Don't get me wrong. The film industry is a huge part of, of um, the arts ecology on the Gold Coast and the economy on the Gold Coast, and it should be supported. But you can't say to the local gigging musician, the local roadie and the local um, artists who, who are, you know, the next big thing, you can't say to them, well, we've given you 800 million. Well, actually, huge swathes of that has gone to very specific parts of the sector. And a lot of it, you know, I think there's $90 million of it was bank guaranteed funding. And, and I don't know any promoters who want to take out a bank loan at the moment. So that's, that's just a way of big noting your contribution and actually doing nothing. In terms of what they need to do, they need to acknowledge the value of this industry to um, to the Australian economy and to the Australian psyche, um, and they need find to find ways to engage within this industry beyond photo opportunities, um, and and get serious in their conversations with the leaders of the industry, but also get serious in their conversations with the micro. Um, companies that, that are the lifeblood of this industry and understand what it is that they need to tick along. And I'm not talking about handouts. I'm talking about let's look at um, let's look at tax incentives. Let's look at precincts that are supported. Let's look at um, engaging organisations to connect with each other and um, you know cross pollinate throughout the industry. But let the government help us do that. So it's not necessarily about grants to do work. It's more about facilitating as they do with every other industry facilitating how the product is exported facilitating how the product moves around australia uh, facilitating how the product is developed that is exactly what we needed to hear thank you mick because it's it's we don't need the handouts we want to encourage business we yeah. want to encourage that exchange between all the members of community to get that creativity happening. No, that's fantastic. And look, don't get me wrong. There's absolutely a place for federal and state government to be supporting artists through grants and through grant programs. And I yeah. sit on, again, I sit on a number of uh, different committees evaluating grants and the, and the work that wouldn't get up without those grants is mind, mind blowing. And that's the work that can turn into the next Moulin Rouge or that can, you know, it's that 45 minute, creative piece that comes out of a director's head that no one's going to take a risk on but someone needs to that in 20 years time is an international movie or a huge musical or you know the genesis of a new rock band that's bringing millions of dollars in record 
um, deals and money back into Australia. So there's absolutely room for and a need for government subsidy and government funding, but that shouldn't be where they stop and that shouldn't just be where they start. Oh, exactly. We really need for them to see the vision that artists have. And sometimes, like you said, it's quite hard to get them to sort of across the line with that. But I read this great quote by Dr. Wendy Weir. She said, we've got 19th century art forms, 20th, 20th century business models and 21st century audience demands. I thought, what a great way to describe where we're at right now. So what do you think our industry needs to do to meet the 21st century business demand? Sorry, in uh, Audience demands, what do, what do they need and how can we deliver it to them in a more diversified way? What do you think, Nick? Yeah, look, I don't think there's a simple answer to that because I don't know that there's a massive problem that exists. I think that um, as delivery models, whether it's Netflix or whether it's podcasts, as they evolve and develop, um, artists naturally flock to make content for them. And there always be artists who aren't, part of the digital generation and there's always audiences who don't want to consume their art through a digital medium and all of the digital mediums are doing is expanding our ability to reach audiences in a way that they may want to be reached so there'll be lots of people out there who watch Gogglebox or watch any form of art and entertainment and wouldn't associate it with arts and culture but actually there's a highly skilled editor sitting behind a desk putting that together in a way that makes it engaging and entertaining. There's a director with huge amounts of credit to their name who's making that product engaging and entertaining. Now, the person who's in, indulging themselves or, or passionate about their 19th century art form might look at Gogglebox and go, well, that's not art. But actually, it's all of the bits and pieces that sit behind it that are as valuable and as, and as um, authentic as, as an artist sitting in front of an easel painting with oil or... or watercolours and saying this is art so I think that there's no simple answer but that the audience will expand to meet the mediums of delivery and the art will expand to fill the medium of delivery exactly and we've got to preserve that supply chain don't we like yeah. for every one person on stage there's 500 people off stage making it happen yeah what's it what's your I guess your big vision for, I guess, a call to action for our industry, because we don't want to just be going, oh, well, it's doom and gloom, it's the government's fault, blah, blah, blah. We really want to, I guess, as creative beasts, we have typically worked outside the square anyway in order yep. to be the creative beasts. What do you think our a great vision would be, a bit of a call to action, like, right, yep, it sucks, but this is what my vision is to really look forward into the future? Look, I think that um, one of the things I've, that has come out of COVID that has really hit home for me is that um, no one in the world's experienced this and the arts especially have never experienced a downturn like this, although we are quite often cyclical. Um, you know, we, we, we sort of, I don't know whether it's a wives tale or whether it's backed up by fact, but it would appear to me that we often are counter cyclical to the economy when the economy's busting, we, we often boom because people want to come along and see a film or see a, a show. But one of the things that's come out of COVID has been, um, this moment of stop and pause and everybody talk about what can we do? And we've seen the industry organisations like Stage Queensland, Performing Arts Australia, um, the Live Entertainment Industry uh, Federation, I think it's called. We've seen these organisations really step up and either be formed in the case of the live entertainment industry um, or really step into their stride and gather artists and promoters and presenters and venue owners around them and start to talk with a more clear and concise voice. 
Um, and I think that should be the goal for the arts industry as a whole, that rather than everybody batting their own particular corner and fighting for their own piece of the turf, they should be ba backing themselves behind the big number and backing themselves behind the value that we are to the economy as a whole yeah. and saying, yeah, I might be a gigging artist, but behind me, there are two lighting guys. There's a guy on a sound desk or a girl on a sound desk. There's somebody driving a truck. There's somebody unloading the equipment. There's someone making the amplifier. There's someone importing the amplifier and selling the amplifier. I am not just a gigging artist. So we need to be talking with that voice and we need to do it more and more and more. And traditionally, I don't think we've been very good at it. We don't have, um, we don't have lobbyists as far as I'm aware. We don't employ, you know, we're not like, again, I'm going to pick on coal. We're not coal or um, we're not a bank, but actually we contribute to the economy in the same way those, those industries do. And we should get grown up and we should find a way to lobby to the public and to the government um, and tell our story. And I said this on a, in a, uh, a panel session about a week ago, we're our own worst enemies in as much as I don't think we're very good at telling our story. We're yeah. great at telling all the other stories that the world throws up and that's what we do for a living. But in terms of telling our story as a valuable part of the Australian and the international um, fabric and the economy, we're not very good at telling that. I agree. I, I think in many ways, this is the best thing that's ever happened to our industry. It's the people you don't see on the red carpet. They're the people that make it all happen. And I guess all of us telling their story as well as our stories, is it's clear that that's the next step for our industry. I think you're right. We do need to. That's our call to action, Nick. We've got to, Nick, we've got to find someone who's a, a lobbyist for our industry. That seems to be the next step, doesn't it? Yeah, and look, I think the, the greatest risk, with um, with this is that we're an industry that traditionally runs very lean. We are an industry that doesn't have a great deal of time set aside for thinking about planning for the future. And I think we will fall back into that trap really quickly. Um, I don't think we have too many big picture thinkers in terms of the industry as a whole. We've certainly got lots of big picture thinkers in terms of what's my next project. How am I going to develop the next program for the Home of the Arts or for the Sydney Opera House or for Dainty and Tag and, you know, what what's the next tour? What's the next program coming up? But in terms of where's the industry heading as a whole and how can the industry leverage its, its clout, I don't think we have those forums in existence at the moment. Well, that's going to be, I think, the next thing that we'll be looking at. Perhaps that's the way the government can help us actually support us in putting together a, a continual panel and, you know, paying for someone to lobby because maybe that's the thing that we desperately need. First, you'd hope that they acknowledge that the industry is worth having a minister of and maybe having a name in a, in a ministry title. Um, and I think, until, I think until that happens, then... You know, and that will that probably only happen with a change of government. To be honest, um, I don't see that the uh, that the current government's about to do any good uh, in that regard. And you look at the premium that they're placing on any arts-related university degree uh, now, oh, right. and you just wonder where the future the future uh, of our industry are going to get their education, or, or how they're going to pay for their education. Exactly. I mean, that was quite interesting. We go into lockdown, everything stops for our industry, and then they quadruple. The cost of the university degree at the same time so but you know what everyone who's listening don't get caught up in the doom and gloom we've actually got no, no, no. to change this and i think this is such a great opportunity because we've had the time to actually join the dots haven't we in this time off yeah look this and there's i'm sure there's been a lot of thinking we we certainly did a lot of thinking here although we've been surprised at how quickly we've had to roll our thinking back into delivery and action 
Um, but I'm sure there are a lot of organisations out there who have had time to think about um, life post-COVID. And I think my main concern is that they need to be talking to each other. We all need to be talking to each other in regards to how we present a unified um, voice for the industry as a whole moving forward. So let's keep this conversation going. Let's tell our stories. Let's just keep connecting and working together. It has been a real pleasure to hear your voice today, Mick. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time. And good luck with Hodder with everything you guys are doing. I hope that 21 is so huge for you. Well, it's looking big already. So we're really, <laughs> really pumped. Good luck. Thanks, Great. Mick. Thank you. Bye.